God, your love and grace are steadfast and provide a nourishment for our spirits that we find nowhere else. When humanity disappoints us, you are present. You are there not only with gifts of love and hope for us, but with reminders that the very ones who have disappointed us receive your love and grace as abundantly. Life doesn't always go according to plan. People don't always act in ways we expect. Our circumstances are not always predictable or without challenges. When our plans get away from us and our way becomes dark or bleak, we pray that we will embrace your companionship and faithful abiding with us, remembering that we are created in your image, full of your divine wonder. As our paths cross with those of others, friends, loved ones, family, and strangers, may we remember that the love you so graciously offer us is broad and grand enough to share. In our relationships and interactions, communities, and social networks, empower us to choose kindness, to choose love, to choose grace, remembering how transforming those gifts are when we receive them. As we make our way closer to the manger, to the birth of the Christ, who lived and taught love, we pray for those who are having a difficult time seeing your love for them and their value to your world. Help us to show people your compassion, each of us in whatever unique way you have gifted, rejoicing that we are disciples of the one who welcomes, loves, and seeks shalom for all the world. In your name we pray.
The witness of scripture this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus.
It is almost impossible to turn on the television and not come across a Hallmark Christmas movie. Oh wait, wasn't this the one that was just shown yesterday, or is this the one that they're showing on another channel right now? No. It's just that every Hallmark Christmas movie is stamped from the same mold. Beautiful people in perfect towns with Courier and Ives snowfall amid exquisitely decorated houses and businesses both inside and out. We can smell the cinnamon steaming from the seasonally appointed mugs of hot cider. And no matter the storyline, Christmas by all appearances is pristine. And some part of us strives for that same merry and bright perfection, if only in our hearts and minds. The magic touch of Hallmark notwithstanding, there is always at least one tiny piece of the Christmas package that does not wrap up with a neatly tied bow. And we have Matthew to thank for telling us about the untidy part of Christmas. Luke's version of Christmas is the better known version and for good reason. Angels are flitting in and out of several scenes and at one point an entire heavenly host fills the night sky with a song that makes Handel's Messiah sound like crickets chirping in the night. <laughs> there are babies leaping in wombs Shepherds who typically relegated to the outer fields get to be center stage. A young woman named Mary sings one of the best songs ever sung in the history of the world. And an old man named Zechariah gets his voice back in time to gift the world with prophetic poetry. Even the minor characters, like a donkey, and a desk clerk at the local inn occupy magical places in our pictures of nativity. It is all part of what makes Christmas the most wonderful time of the year. Matthew, on the, under, on the other hand, gives us the all-time worst Christmas letter ever written. For Matthew, Christmas is not bells and hot cocoa. Instead, Matthew writes about the family tree. He does not start his letter with, well, it's been another eventful year. Matthew writes, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. Oy vey. <laughs> this is so tedious, we don't even read it. And yet. Yet what he lacks stylistically, he conveys theologically. That among other things, Matthew wants to remind us that God, who has always been present and loving this world, is coming again. 
is coming in a package of wondrous, surprising, vulnerable love. So Matthew is telling us about the quieter side of Christmas. The side of Christmas that does not get displayed in lights and sounds, but is enacted with courage and compassion, which is the biblical depiction of love, that seldom makes it beyond the cutting room floor, but is what makes all the difference in life. Matthew wants us to know about Joseph. And if it weren't for Matthew's Christmas letter, we would have almost nothing of Joseph to tell, who even at center stage has no lines to say, but whose actions speak louder than any words ever uttered. Joseph helps us understand what it looks like to be unpacking love. Now, to Matthew's credit, he does include an angel in the story, but this angel is less hallelujah and more here's what to do, yeah? (laughs) If Matthew had not told us his version of Christmas, then most people, and perhaps many of us, would not realize we have not only a part to play, but also how to play the part in the greatest story ever told. As Isaiah has been our guide through the first three Sundays of Advent, now Joseph delivers us to Bethlehem. Isaiah has passed the torch to a most remarkable guide. Contrary to this church's stunning nativity window, Joseph rarely figures as prominently in the artist's imagination as he does here. More typically, Joseph is off to the side, just beyond the halo of light surrounding Mary and the baby. In some depictions, Joseph is older, most of his hair long having left his head, a walking stick that he uses for support. Whatever light there is with Joseph, he uses not for his illumination, but so that we can see the mother and the child better. And that is as it is depicted in our window. Beyond these bare bones of the story, imagination and tradition have filled in the picture. That Joseph's main appearance is here and then nowhere after the family has taken the trip for Passover to Jerusalem when young Jesus stayed in the temple to talk with the teachers. The fact that Joseph appears nowhere beyond that is what contributes to the assumption that Joseph was older than Mary. Perhaps old enough to be the age of her father maybe even her grandfather. And that was only the beginning of their differences. Their betrothal was unlikely from the start. She, young and beautiful, he, older and grizzled. She sang Magnificat, he chiseled wood. She dressed in silken linens, he wore the hair shirt. She knew of the Holy Spirit. He knew hard work. 
We do know that Joseph was a religious man because when the news came that his betrothed was with child, he knew what steps to take. Joseph was empowered to go to the courthouse, submit divorce papers, and tell the entire world about Mary's infidelity, which could have left her alone and homeless to scratch a living as a single mother at least, or convicted and sentenced possibly to death at worst. He could have used his advantage and his power to disavow and to dispatch a cold, hard legalism as his guide. And yet, even before the angel dreams its way into Joseph's nightmare days, he has decided for preservation, not vengeance, for mercy, not recompense, for gentle kindness, not cruel conviction. He's decided that he will go to the clerk's office, quickly sign the papers of separation, and allow Mary to get on with her life, even as he tries to get on with his life. Matthew says of Joseph's decision that he is a righteous man. And of the many gifts of Christmas we are graced to hear, this good word about righteousness is Joseph's version of magnificence. Somewhere along the way, and much too often, religion has turned the word righteousness into a strict adherence to rules and regulations resulting in judgmentalism, exclusivity, and fear. In its worst form, it has become arrogantly, pridefully expressed as self-righteousness. It's the poison of superiority that has led to the worst religion can do and has done over the centuries. Joseph is, according to Matthew, a righteous man, which is to say, a person who looks to create, not condemn, who seeks to protect, not punish, who's willing to entertain the possibility of a future that he could have never imagined, but that he is willing to facilitate. Joseph is the kind of man who apparently said, my life was so simple before love showed up. And now love has completely rearranged everything. For Joseph, and for anyone who ex would accept the role Joseph plays in the Christmas story, righteousness is the courage it takes to make room in our living for the way God's kind of love takes shape in this world. And Joseph reminds us of something else that while the presence of God's love unpacked will rearrange the way we live our days, the better news is that God's love comes into the mess of this world as it is. 
When is the time for love to be born? asked Madeline Langle. The inn is full on the planet Earth, and by a comet the sky is torn, yet love still takes the risk of birth. He did not wait till the world was ready, till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and the prisoners cried out for release. He did not wait for the perfect time. He came when the need was deep and great to a world like ours. Of anguished shame he came, and his light would not go out. Well, here we are, a few days before Christmas, and really not all that different from Joseph. Do we hear the angelic proclamation and do all we can to unpack love in this world? Or do we shake off the dream and divorce ourselves from the ways God sends love into this world? The wonder of the Christmas story, as Matthew tells it, is that God delivers the package right to our doorstep and then allows us the freedom to decide if we will be unpacking love this year. Whatever that looks like for any one of us, the one thing we know is that love is unpacked only in the ways we share love in the world. For love is not only a gift given to us, it is the gift realized through us. Well, does Hallmark tell that story? <laughs> I can't really tell you because I've actually never seen a Hallmark movie from start <laughs> to finish. <laughs> but this much we do know. We can live the story Matthew tells. And Langle says it this way. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice, for to share our grief and to touch our pain. He came with love. Rejoice. Rejoice. Ah, now that, that's a good Christmas letter.